John chapter 15, verses 9 through 14. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, than someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. This is the word of the Lord. Please be seated. Amen. Let's thank Megan again. All right. Well, good morning, Redemption Church. Uh, my name is Jake. I'm, I'm one of the pastors here. And, and uh, this Advent season has been, been really awesome for me um, and, and I hope for all of you uh, because uh, we've done something really cool that we haven't really done before. Um, all four pastors have preached. Dave started us off and then Marcus, Keith was last week, and then I have the opportunity this week. And I just want to say before I begin, um, I love these three men. Um, they love you they constantly pour themselves out for you. They are constantly in prayer for you and serving you. Um, they are um, such great men to be that, that I know and that, that I, I love to be around. And so will you give a, a, a round of applause for Dave, Marcus, and Keith, please? With that in mind, um, they... Uh, we're going through the Advent, which is the, the preparation for Christ's coming, and, and, and they have taken, uh, over the course of the last few weeks, uh, we've looked at hope and peace and joy, and this week will be love, but, they, but they've taken all the good biblical narratives. Um, so before we dive in, uh, I, I, and they left me with like the caboose of Advent. Um, it's like, all right, Jake, you figure out whatever you can do. Um, but with that, um, before we dive in, we're going to dive into John 15, and that's going to start us off this morning. Um, if you have a Bible, go and open it up there. If you don't have a Bible, we have some for you. We highly recommend uh, that you have a Bible in your hands. We're going to have the stuff up on the screen, no problem. But if you want a Bible, um, if you just forgot yours at home, that's okay. You can take one of these. Um, if you don't own a Bible, um, this is our gift to you. We want you to have a Bible that you can read. We believe it is the Word of God, um, that it is good for us. And so, um, Go ahead and open up to John 15. Um, let me pray, and then we'll get started. God, you are good. Thank you that you did not leave us. Thank you that you did not leave us uh, in our own sin. You did not leave us to our own devices, Lord, but you came to us. The Lord came to us, and Thank you. You came and you dwelt among us, um, and we can see your glory. That's the only glory of the Father. And so, Lord, thank you for Advent. Thank you for Christmas. Um, help us to remember, help us to pause and worship you today. God, you are good. In Jesus' name, amen. So, like I said, 
All the good biblical birth narratives of Jesus have already been taken over the last few weeks, so I wanted to start with a Christmas movie. And arguably not a good Christmas movie, um, but I still wanted to start with it um, anyway, and that movie's Love Actually. The opening, the opening quote of this movie goes like this. Whenever I get gloomy with the state of the world, I think about the arrivals gate at Heathrow Airport. General opinion makes out that we live in a world of hatred and greed. But I don't see that. Seems to me that love is everywhere. Often it's not particularly dignified or newsworthy, but it's always there. Fathers and sons, mothers and daughters, husbands and wives, boyfriends, girlfriends, and old friends. When the planes hit the Twin Towers, none of the phone calls were from people on board were messages of hate or revenge. They were all messages of love. If you look for it, I've got a sneaky feeling that you'll find that love actually is all around. Now, most Christmas movies follow this kind of thinking. It's Christmas time. Christmas time is a time of heightened emotion. People get caught up in the energy of Christmas. They become bolder. They become more fearless in their loving, which can look like spinning around and yelling out, I'm in love, I'm in love, and I don't care who knows it. <laughs> but I can't remember how many times I've heard in a Christmas movie something along the lines of, well, it's Christmas time, so why not take a chance? There seems to be an intimate connection between the emotions that we feel around Christmas and the emotion of love. Hallmark romantic comedies and Hallmark Christmas movies are exactly the same thing. <laughs> However, I think that we can all agree that this view always seems to miss the mark. It always seems to feel a little bit empty. This type of love doesn't last. So in light of the Christmas season, when love is all around us, let us reconsider what it means to love. And we're going to use John 15 as our guide, as our starting point to break down biblical love so we can truly love our friends and family this season. So I want to ask three questions today. First one, what is love? Baby, don't hurt me. Of course, I, I had to get it out. I had to get it out. I'm sorry. I won't do it again. Uh, so what is love? Why is love so difficult? Why is love so difficult? And then lastly, what does love produce? What does love produce? So let's start with what is love? Let's pick it up in John 15, uh, verse 9. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. 
and I, I'll flush this out a little bit more based off these verses, but I wanted to define love this way. Love is the self-sacrifice for the good of another to the glory of God. Love is the self-sacrifice for the good of another to the glory of God. So let me break it up, break it down for you. Self-sacrifice. Jesus says, greater love has no one than this than to lay down their life for his friends. Love requires us to lay down our life for another. It's a conscious choice to say that you are more important than me and that your good is more important than my good. It says that the things that I have, all the things that I have, are better spent giving away than hoarding for myself. We love not through continually filling ourselves up, but rather emptying ourselves out for the good of another. And Jesus says, for your joy may be made full, and I, and I think this is more implied by the entire chapter, but clearly our love should always be for the building up of another person, not for their harm. As any parent knows, we cannot let our children have donuts every morning for breakfast and let them have as many as they want. That's, that's not loving. Be delicious, but not loving. That is not loving our children for their good. Donuts may bring temporary happiness, but not lasting joy. In the same way, we do the hard work as parents and friends and family to do what is best for those around them, even if we don't like it or even if we don't want to do it. The last little clause, to the glory of God. And in this, ver in this section, he says, as the Father has loved, just as I have kept the Father's commandments, abide in his love. Ultimately, the way in which we love one another should bring glory to God. This is deeply connected to the last point of for the good, because God is the best good that you could love one another. He's the best good that you could point someone to. Our love does not end on the person we are loving, but instead it reflects up, it reflects up to, to God. This means that we cannot do whatever we want and call it good and call it love, but our, loves, our love needs to reflect the character of God and how he's revealed it to us. And like I mentioned before, our culture has a lot to say. Culture has a lot to say about love, not just in December, but throughout the year, and it, it only takes a little bit of a moment uh, in, in watching Christmas movies or watching TikTok or really just talking to anyone on the street or anyone in your class and ask and see that our culture's love is something very different than what I've, what I've defined here. Love, it is, love in our culture is an emotion. It comes upon you when you see that cute, go, cute boy in your Spanish class it comes upon you when your barista smiles at you. It's like this, this weird ethereal power that we have to abide by, um, that we can receive or project onto others. We have to follow love. We have to, lead, we have to love who we love. And if we don't love a person anymore, then we have to break up. 
Love controls us. We are at the mercy of love. Our world tells us to love everyone, but never tells us how. And when I hear that we should have more love in our world, like the black eyed peas, where's the love, where's the love? It's like this idea of like, okay, if I could just harness my inner care bear and like shoot a beam of love to people. That's how our culture really uh, practically thinks we can love one another. But the words of Jesus here show us a different way. Greater love has no one than this, than to lay down your life for your friend. See, love is ultimately not an emotion. It's an action. It is selfless action for the benefit of another. And our culture says that love is ultimately what we feel. Jesus says love is ultimately what we do. It's making ourselves low. It sacrifices our comforts, our rights, our resources, our happiness. It sacrifices all that we think we need. Love is costly. To love someone in the way that Jesus loved is going to cost us something. It should hurt. It should struggle. It should be a struggle. It's because we believe that the other person is more important than ourselves. So why is it difficult to love? Why is it difficult to love in this way? Well, I think the, the, the central answer is that due to sin, we are inherently selfish people inherently selfish people. Even in the world, uh, the way in which the world tells us to love um, is that uh, we love the way that that person or thing makes me feel. I love my wife because she makes me feel good. I love fajitas because they make me feel good. What makes love so difficult is often not that the things or the people around us are unlovable, but that we love ourselves too much. We want to feel comforted so we don't get up and serve our families. We want to hold on to power so we push people down and use them for our own gain. We want to feel in control so we make sure our kids follow our every word or else. We want people to like us so we hide who we truly are because if, every, if other people saw who we were, then they wouldn't like us and they wouldn't stick around. Love is costly. It causes us to lay down our lives. It causes us to lay down our hopes, our dreams, our finances, the expectations that others have of us, our security, our lives. Jesus calls us to love not by sprinkling in, oh, doing a good deed here and there, and especially around Christmas, but it is committing our entire lives for the benefit of another. By this type of love, God is glorified. But Jesus says here to lay down our lives for our friends. Lay down our lives for our friends. Now, when I read that, and, and you might feel the same way, I read that and I go, no problem. Somebody calls me and says, hey, hey, Jake, my friend calls me, he says, hey, Jake, I need, I need help moving. I'm moving this weekend. You've got a truck. Can you help me move? I go, yeah, no problem. My wife, I like my wife very much. I, I absolutely can love her in this way. 
I love my kids. They make me happy. Absolutely, I can spend my money to get them the things that they need. No problem. Most of the time, it's easy to love our friends. But I want to stop us here, lest we think that that's all that Jesus requires of us. Because he raises the stakes. Listen to the words, and uh, uh, you can write this down, or listen to the words here at, at Luke 6, chapter 32 and 36. If you love those who love you, what benefit is that to you? Uh-oh. For even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who do good to you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners do the same. And if you lend to those uh, from you who expect to receive, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners to get back the same amount. But love your enemies and do good and lend, expecting nothing in return, and your reward will be great, and you will be sons of the Most High. For he is kind to the ungrateful and to the evil. Be merciful, even as your Father is merciful. If you love those who love you, what benefit is that to you? So Jesus says that the greatest love that we can show is to lay down our lives for our friends. On one hand, the greatest love that we can have is to lay down our life for our friends. But here Jesus also says, but love your enemies. So I want to ask you, how are we to love our enemies? If the greatest love is to lay down your life for your friends, Jesus says, love our enemies. How are we to love our enemies? I'll give you a second to connect those dots. We love our enemies by laying down our lives for them. We love our enemies by laying down our lives for them. And Jesus is famously asked, who's my neighbor? And he responds with the, the, the parable of the Good Samaritan. So I want to ask, who is my enemy? Our enemy is those who hate us, those who speak evil of us, those who shame us, those who make fun of us, those who get angry at us, those who embarrass us, those who steal from us, those who take away our rights, and our freedoms, those who hit us, those who take advantage, those who persecute us. Our enemies, our co-workers who you struggle to deal with every day. Our enemies, our family members who make fun of your faith. Your enemy is your neighbor who makes living in your house so very difficult. Your enemy is the liberal. Your enemy is the conservative. Your enemy is the customer that seems to be just unreasonably angry with you. Your enemy is that person in traffic that you're yelling at. Your enemy is your spouse who disagrees with you. Your enemy is your kids who disobey and rebel against you. R.C. Sproul had this one quote uh, that he, he would always say. He, he told this story of a, a, pa uh, of a man came to his pastor and said, he was all freaked out, he was all uh, uh, just uh, uh, frustrated and um, just really angry and just didn't know what to do. And, and this man says to his pastor, 
I, I, can't, I can't do it anymore. My wife is driving me crazy. My wife is driving me crazy. I can't live with her anymore. Uh, she just makes every day so difficult. And the pastor sits back and listens to him for a little while, and he says, well, the, the Bible tells us, Jesus tells us to, to love our wives. And so this would be the good that, that, that God would have for you to, to love your wife. The man gets even more heated, and he's like, no, 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 no. There's no way I can do that. She's just crazy. She drives me nuts. There's no way I can live with my wife anymore. So the pastor again sits back, and he says, here's what I want you to do. I want you to buy the house next door. It'll give you some space, but I want you to buy the house next door. Man thought about it for a little bit. No, it's not, it's not far enough. I, I, can't, I can't live anywhere near her. Pastor responds, well, Jesus tells us to love our neighbor. And so with her being your neighbor, you can choose to, to love her. Man thinks about it for a little while, but he gets even more angry. And he's like, no, I can't do it. It's not going to work. She is my enemy. She is my enemy. She is my enemy. I cannot live with her. She is my enemy. Pastor sits back and has a nice smile. And he says, well, if she's your enemy, do I have bad news for you? <laughs> we are to love our enemy. Jesus shows us that our neighbors are all around us in the same way our enemies are all around us. Love them at cost to yourself. So due to sin, we are by nature selfish, and we only want to love ourselves, but Jesus comes and tells us to sacrifice ourselves in love for another. And, and that seems impossible. It seems if we really think about it, how are we to do this? And I think our I think our answer is at the end of uh, uh, verse 35 there in Luke. For he, talking about God, is kind to the ungrateful and to the evil. Be merciful even as your heavenly Father is merciful. See, we can love our enemies because we have a Savior who loved us and has loved us completely and perfectly. We are freely loved by God, and so we can freely love those around us, even those that bring us harm. Listen to this from Romans 5. For while we were weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. For one would scarcely die for a righteous person, though for a good person one would even dare to die for our friends. But look at what Jesus does. For God shows his love for us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. See, the truth of the scriptures is that we are enemies of God, and he laid down his life for us. So when you are wrongly accused, you don't have to defend when you are maligned, you don't have to retaliate. When you are reviled, you don't have to revile in return. You can continually give to those and expect nothing in return because you have been given everything in Christ. This kind of love is difficult. This kind of love is costly. 
but it's the kind of love that Jesus loves us with. And so as Christmas approaches, and you know that you have that one family member that you're just dreading being around, in the next few days, pray for that person. Jesus tells us to pray for those who persecute you. Pray that you would have the strength to love that family member as Jesus has loved you. And lastly, what does this love produce? On one hand, it produces a lot of things. This kind of love produces many things, hope and peace and everything we've been talking about with Christmas. Uh, And man, does it produce an enormous amount of God-given joy to love people in this way. But I wanted to touch on one result of self-sacrificial love. And it's one that our world and our church desperately needs. See, this type of self-sacrificial love produces unity. This kind of love brings people together. It resolves problems, it opens hearts, it restores friendships. It brings people together. And I'm going to show you this. I'm going to show you how this works, and I wanted to prove this to you through the scriptures. And so we're going to go through a couple of different texts, um, and the sacrifice, the sacrificial love will be in yellow, and then the unity it produces will be in blue, okay? Sacrifice in yellow, unity in blue. You tracking with me? I learned this from Elliot. Elliot did this a few weeks ago, and I'm like, that's awesome, so I'm going to steal it. Um, But sacrifice in yellow, unity in blue. First Ephesians 2. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near, here's the sacrifice, by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, here's the unity, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in the ordinances that he might create in himself Here's some more unity, one new man in the place of two, so making peace. And might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross. Again, there's sacrifice. I forgot to change it to yellow. Through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. The sacrifice of Christ brings unity and kills hostility. Next, Philippians 2, and and me and Joel didn't plan this, but I'm going to say the exact same thing he said earlier, Uh, but Philippians 2. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not encount equality with God a thing to be grasped. Here's the sacrifice. But he emptied himself. By taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself, becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name above every name. Here's the unity. So that at the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow in heaven, on earth, and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is the Lord to the glory of God the Father. All the earth will be unified in their glorification of God. And the last one, Revelation 5. We're going to actually start here with 
uh, with the unity piece. Then I looked and I heard around the throne and the living creatures and the elders, the voice of many angels numbering in the myriad of myriads and thousands of thousands saying with a loud voice, they're going to be singing the sacrifice, worthy is the lamb that was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. Here's some more unity. And I heard every creature in heaven on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in, with, in them saying to him who sits on the throne and to the lamb, be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. Amen. Angels who peeled back the sky and praised the birth of Christ are now praising alongside men and women of God joined in uni unity to praise God himself, all while worshiping the sacrifice of Christ. The sacrifice of Christ brings people together. Your laying down your life will bring people together. I wanted to end today with a picture of where we're headed. We've been talking for the last few weeks about the birth of Christ, and I wanted to end today with a picture of where we're headed. I wanted to show you a picture of the world that is waiting for us. In his sermon, Heaven, a World of Love, Jonathan Edwards, in the early 1700s, paints a picture of heaven which is defined and satisfied with love. He says, the joy of heavenly love shall never be interrupted or dampened due to jealousy. We shall have no fear that the de declarations and professions of love when we say I love you are hypocriti hypocritical, but shall be perfectly satisfied of the sincerity and strength of each other's affection. He goes on to say that love in heaven will be weighty. It will not be quickly dismissed like it is here. There will be no fake flattery or hypocrisy in our love. Everyone will be fully satisfied by the love that we experience in heaven. We will not envy or be jealous of one another. Everyone will take joy in others' happiness. There will be no revenge or contempt, no selfishness, no fear of rejection. But there will be perfect harmony among all the saints and perfect love reigning in every heart. See, in this season, when love seems to be everywhere, but the love that we need, the love that ultimately matters, the, the love that will unify us for eternity is ultimately and completely and wholly found in Jesus. Amen. Let's pray. God, we need you. We need you to love this way. Help us to be secure um, in your love for us so that we can be so free to love others. If we are wholly and completely loved by you, then we are free to do what you would have us. God, as we approach Christmas in a week, help us to love you and worship you above all else. Help us not to worship 
things or the gifts that we are given, but Lord, help us to worship the ultimate gift giver, which is your son. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.